Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Aisha Kai, Managing Editor of The Globe, and today we are talking with writer, scholar, and humorist, M. Shelley Connor. M. Shelley is a writer across genres. She's written about everything from Black womanhood to self-sustainable living for outlets like The AV Club, The Grio, Playboy Magazine, and Crisis Magazine. She's also the creator of a web series called Queer Life, about four queer women of color in Chicago. M. Shelley is also an assistant professor of creative writing at the University of Central Arkansas and has a PhD in English from the University of Illinois at Chicago, where she wrote the bulk of her new book, Every Man, which we're discussing today. As you'll hear in the interview, Every Man has been a long time in the making, but it was well worth the wait. It's a brilliant fictional take on the Great Migration, as well as a nod to the reverse migration. It's an incredible story, and this was a lovely conversation. So with that, please enjoy my chat with M. Shelley Connor. Well, M. Shelley, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you. I am glad to be here. (laughs) Well, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I feel like it's only worth telling our listeners that you and I have been in each other's orbits for years now. As a yes. matter of fact, you were one of the first viral articles that we had on the vertical that I run at The Root, The Glow Up, um, about Dapper Style. And I love that article. And I love what you've done since. And we are going to talk about this debut novel of yours, Every Man, which, you know, now, obviously, our listeners can't see this. Our producer, Michaela, knows I have this whole thing with, like, the tabs. And I, like, put all these little stickies in books when I'm reading them. So I, I had to show you how many were in this book, because it is so rich. (laughs) But (laughs) before we begin, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but before we begin, we do have a ritual here at It's Lit, because this is a podcast about Black writers, Black books, Black thoughts and ideas. Is there a book that you have considered, or books that you have considered to be a game changer, a a huge source of inspiration, you know, life-affirming for you? Absolutely. Um... I will have to say the one that I've been like really fangirling over for the past few years has been Long Division by T.S.A. Mm. Lehman. Mm-hmm. And I know he's just re-released it and it's released now exactly how he wanted it. You know, he made some compromises in the original printing. So I haven't received mine yet, but I did order <laughs> it. So I do the sticky tabs too. Um, they're kind of missing a lot of them from my own book because they're for different <laughs> things. But yeah, I tab, I highlight, I even dog ear. So. Yes. Yes. Well, I started with the sticky tabs because I was trying not to highlight and, and dog ear this beautiful book of yours with, I have to say, this beautiful cover art. Now, you know, because you and I, you know, we're on social media together, we've got mutual friends, all these things, we've worked together. I saw this early on when you first got this uh, pop in, but I did not realize uh, in all the time that I've known you, I did not realize you've been working on this for close to a decade, I believe. Closer to two decades. It's been wow. about 16 years total process. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what I expected. You know, I mean, having read your writing and having edited your writing, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't this. And this is so, I mean, Shelly, it's incredible. It's an incredible offering. It is so rich with uh, information and texture. And I'm I'm kind of stunned and I don't know where to begin, but let's begin where 
you and I both began, you know, for the most part, which is Chicago, this, which is a huge part of this book. And this is really kind of, um, I mean, would you call it a reverse migration tale in some, in some respects? Absolutely. Um, that's definitely the framing of it. Um, it, it starts with what we kind of call or consider the official end of the migration and, um, starts with, you know, around the official beginning of it. So the narrative starts in 1972 Chicago and then works its way backwards to 1920s Georgia. And this beautiful rendering of history that you give us. I mean, when I first, uh, I'd never heard of ideal Georgia. <laughs> or ideal, as, as we might say, right? I've never heard of this place. And of course, I'm looking at, did she make this place up? No, this is a real place. And you give us this whole history through the context of the railroad. And I, I thought that was a really unique framing for this story in terms of the Black narrative. Was that the genesis of the tale itself? Or how did that become a device for you to use here? Um, it wasn't the genesis. The The start of the story was just thinking about, you know, how we pass down stories and things like that. But I was concerned with the stories that we don't pass down, the ones that we refuse, you know, so the names that are kind of scratched out and erased from the family Bibles. And I, I wondered what those stories would be. I, in another life, was a Chicago public school teacher. And I did a genealogy project with my students. My mom has been tracing our family history back for quite some time, well before we had access to Ancestry.com and stuff like that. In fact, I've got this book she put together back in 2007. Um, and so she's traced our family back to the early 1800s. And so I thought it'd be cool to do something like that with my students, uh, mostly Black students in Chicago, you know, on the South Side. And so I put together all these little booklets they could take home and, you know, what, what's your parent's name, your grandparent's name. And I knew that they would hit the roadblock that, you know, we usually do when you think about, you know, the period of slavery, right, where records weren't kept uh, about enslaved black folks. That's why you call it chattel slavery, because how they were treated, but also regarded as animals and listed like that. But I did not anticipate that my students would <laughs> have roadblocks a lot sooner in in their family lineage. So being raised by grandparents who did not want to divulge names or parents who didn't want to divulge names and really were kind of suspicious as to why we were asking. And so that was kind of the, the genesis of the story. As far as the railroad, that kind of came in later when I really picked up steam, pun, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> looking at at different different devices to tell this story and so each of the chapters usually kind of takes something historical and uses it as a narrative device just kind of in that beginning and weaves through the major narrative stories of the characters and the railroad was just one that had come up in my research well you know it's very effective. And I love what you were just saying about genealogy as well, because between those two devices, you know, um, what essentially happens with this idea of the railroad is this idea of this branching out, right? This idea of like all these different branches of this tree of not just a family, but all these people who are adjacent to it. And one of the things I found really stunning is that you managed to flesh out every single one of your characters. Like this is, this book is so much about the secrets that we keep and the things that we do and do not tell and 
the ways we are linked to each other, all the weird little, <laughs> you know, ways that we're intertwined, <laughs> which, you know, I, I, now I see the 16 years of effort because I was kind of, uh, I don't know that that's always effective to, you know, like sometimes it can get distracting because there's so many people to follow. But in this one, I felt like you did something really interesting. You kind of wove these narratives so well together. Was that a huge undertaking? Like, I mean, was that something you had to revisit again and again and again to kind of figure out how, I mean, how did you do it? How did you, did you like have a flow chart? <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of charts and, and note taking and there were um, family tree charts and things like that. So I've got like, this is the novel in conceptual form. And so, yeah, like there's little family tree charts and timelines and stuff like that, that I have. But yeah, I mean, it took 16 years. I don't think that writing a novel should <laughs> take 16 years. So that's, I mean, there's also a lot of years of rejection and revising and coming back to it, putting it down, doing other, other projects. Well, you were also getting a PhD, I believe, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So seven, <laughs> seven years of that was the PhD. Um, and this, yeah, this, this was my dissertation for it. And so I did have a, a draft of this. That was my dissertation. It has changed pretty drastically. I mean, the core story is still the same, but a lot of the layering that happens in here uh, that you've been mentioning happened after I got the degree and just was kind of sitting here, sending it out, you know, and people were like, yes, we, we love the writing, but there's just something that's not quite hitting with the story, something that's not quite catching. And so... Yeah, uh, one of the major changes I made was I like, I relocated one chapter. I took it from being like chapter 13 to chapter one, because, you know, it just wasn't picking up quickly enough for people to, to stick with it. And then that changed the whole world and the experience and actually people's interest level in it. <laughs> so just being able to kind of make changes like that, again, put it on the shelf come back to it later, make some changes that I probably would have been more afraid and, and you know, hesitant to make earlier. But, you know, the longer you wait, the more rejection you get. You really just kind of like, you know what, F it. I'm going to do this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I also like what you did here for the South, so to speak, right? You say something, I'm going to paraphrase it because, of course, I don't know which sticky up I put it on. <laughs> but you say something to the effect of, you know, that people have this idea of the South that Black people aren't safe there. And you're like, no, but we take care of our own. Like we, you know, and, and really these, this is as much about people harboring each other's secrets as it is 
you know, this kind of scratching the names out of the family Bible type of thing. I mean, I thought that was really evocative and such a beautiful way to say that because you and I are both products of the Great Migration. You know, my parents, people both came from Mississippi, okay, as as did a lot of Chicago mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and other places. But um, that was something that I thought was really effective um, because you do have this. I think the pervasive narrative has always been, as much as we know that terror happens in the North too, that the South is like, oh, <laughs> you know, but there is a a holding there that these characters do for each other. They hold a lot of space for each other. Why was that such an important narrative for you to kind of explore? Because it comes up again and again. Yeah. um, One of the things I've been realizing, because I essentially write about the same thing in different ways. (laughs) So just this reverse great migration that's been going on maybe for the past decade, where you have people who are either children of the migration or people who were part of the Great Migration returning to the South. And so that's that's been my life. I left Chicago and I'm living in Arkansas now. Uh, my wife and I have a homestead here. So I the South has always been very important to me in Chicago. I spent a lot of time well, kind of up South. We are yeah, kind of up south. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was always returning summers, going fishing in Memphis with my grandmother and stuff like that. I was even teased in Chicago in high school because I talked Southern, you know. I spent a lot of time in the South. I did my undergraduate at Tuskegee in Alabama. And so I feel like the South is as much mine, you know. (laughs) And I wanted a book that reflected that, that, you know, I I do consider myself Southern Northern if we're doing hyphenates. And so it, that it's, it's important. It's part of us, the beauty. It colored my experience in Chicago as a, as a Chicagoan. And, you know, it informed my decision to, to come back here. And when we think about, you know, just that separation of the Mason Dixon line of it, what's safer for black. I mean, that changes, that evolves. You know, I'll curse anyone out who talks about Chicago being a dangerous city, but I will also admit it ran my ass out of there, right? <laughs> and 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 that is that's the truth of it. Interestingly enough, my wife and I, we hadn't moved down here. We had come down to Little Rock to celebrate a friend's birthday. It was over Memorial weekend, so um had gone back to Chicago to find out like we had been burglarized. <laughs> I had just gotten all of our stuff back in the house. It was 10 p.m. And then, you know, summertime, you hear those shots and it was so close. I could tell it was in our alley where we were moments ago. And we hit the floor and tears just streaming down my wife's face. And I said, we're getting out of here. And this is, you know, this is middle class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting on the south side of Chicago right now. So I I know. And and it doesn't. And you're right. It is that kind of thing. I'm I'm just like you. I will defend Chicago to the teeth. (laughs) But right. at the same time, it's like, how am I living here on the lakefront and hearing gunshot? What is happening right now? <laughs> like, yeah. You know? um, but back to every man. And it's interesting, you know, you talking about that, you know, we had Charles Blow here on the show not long ago, and he has been writing about reverse migration. He's advising for reverse migration as a power move, which I thought was, mm-hmm. you know, something I thought of a lot while reading this book. But you also do something that I love here that... The way in which you deal with sexuality and particularly same gender love in this book, 
felt to me like this reinforcing of the idea that it has always been there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like people act like, Mm -hmm. you know, LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is something new (laughs) because we talk about it more openly. Mm -hmm. But what you do here with this is something that's really, I mean, it's really subtle and it's really elegantly done, I think. And you do it and again, it becomes another motif because you do it repeatedly with like different couplings of people. I mean, you know, it is a, a huge part of the narrative as well, but it does, but it's also not, it's also somewhat matter of fact. It's, I mean, it both is and is not a big deal. And I thought that was really interesting. Was that originally your intent or was that a layer that you added later? Um, it was a layer that deepened and, and continued to deepen again as my own, you know, queer sexuality over 16 years also. But it's also kind of speaks to one of the, I guess, disappointments that I felt growing up reading the African-American canon that, you know, I knew those characters were supposed to be there and, and they, they weren't there. And then when, when they are written about, it's, you know, Maya Angelou saying something like calling it the world of the pervert. <laughs> and I thought so, you were really daring to call that out here, by the way. <laughs> But I was like, oh, oh yes, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, because that's how I felt. And, you know, Toni Morrison said, you know, if, if if something isn't there, then you have to write it. You have to write those books. And so one of the things that I also learned was in Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, in one of the original drafts, he had a black gay professor in the um, Tuskegee scene. I'm doing air quotes there because he never names it as Tuskegee, but I graduated from Tuskegee and anyone knows that that is Tuskegee. And so I actually, I found that out reading Roderick Ferguson's book, Aberrations in Black. And he had the tiniest tidbit of dialogue from this character. And I took that character and I put them in every man. I put him in every man as a black gay professor. I reinstalled him at Tuskegee in that narrative. So that's kind of one of the most direct engagements that I did with that with Professor Woodridge. And I just took that one line of dialogue and based a character off of it in order to, you know, reinstall him in what I felt was his rightful place. I I love that. And so, yeah, making making those queer interventions. And what's funny is I I do keep reading the book, (laughs) Every Man. Sometimes I just pick it up. And I I always give myself excuses like, oh, I'm soon going to be doing reading, so I need to you know, know which sections. And, and that is part of it. But in one of my recent rereadings, I was like, this is a pretty queer book. I didn't, you know, <laughs> realize, but the queerness had, you know, been layered over, over yeah, time. And yeah. So, and that's exactly what I meant when I said it was both matter of fact and pivotal to the plot, because, you know, there are things that definitely change the course of other actions, you know, by somebody's queerness or or rejection of queerness. But I did love how layered it was. I did love that it seemed to show up again and again and again, but in all these like unexpected kind of ways. And again, you know, I love, I, I do love that you're interjecting that into the African-American canon because I think we can always <laughs> use more because there is, again, this forgetting, we, you know, this is not brand new, right? <laughs> you know, like there's, right. there seems to always be this denial of that. It also... It always stuck in me that one of the first things older people say when you tell them you're queer is, you know, is it just a phase? Maybe you're just going through a phase. And I'm like, 
oh, they, they're holding this in the chamber. They would never say. So how many people go through this as a phase? What are the stories of, of these people who are going through this as a phase? Or it's interpreted as a phase because they couldn't live that life and had to pivot from it. So now there are all these stories, queer stories, where now people just say, oh, it was a phase. Again, kind of erasing this narrative or rewriting this narrative. And I'm like, what are those stories? And what if it wasn't a phase? Right. You know, what if it was just kind of, you know, too hard or too difficult or, you know, and I wanted a story that showed that it was too hard and too difficult, but not in the very volatile ways that we're used to seeing with queer narratives that someone is violated because of their queerness. Yeah, quite the contrary. Yeah. Yeah. Life is life is just hard in general. And this right here makes it extra hard, especially in these different time periods. Yeah. Again, I thought that was absolutely artfully done. And I was really, I was really, I was really impressed by it as I was, you know, again, the research here, like, like, can we talk about that for a second? I mean, I know you're an academic. I know, you know, you grew up in a library basically, but like the amount of research that you must have had to do to create this. And, you know, we're talking about a multi-generational saga here that you've managed to fit into under 250 pages. So (laughs) what was that process like? Um, it was truly enjoyable. I, I love doing this type of research. Um, there were times where I had to like, you know, you, you need to kind of go ahead and write because I would get caught up in the research because I wanted the characters and the settings to, to be real and reflective of, of like a dedicated amount of world building in, in a world and time that, that was changing and, and evolving. So, yeah, I really enjoy the the research aspect of it. A lot of times it informed the narrative because you have to know what's going on at that time to either write about it, write through it or write around it. And so, like, for example, I have a character going to New Orleans in 1927 and he doesn't make it there. Because I was like, wait a minute, New Orleans was underwater in 1927 with the first flood. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't know that I want to write that because that's a whole endeavor. And so I was like, OK, I've I've got to write around it or and, and through it. So I've, I've got to mention it. I've got to, you know, this would have been for this character at the time, um, it, a literal roadblock. So that's what I made it as a literal roadblock. You could not get there. Well, first of all, I love the idea of writing around something. I think that's, I mean, I'm not even sure I've heard that before. (laughs) And I've been writing for a long time. But that, that right there, I think was so, it's perfect. But also that, I'm glad you brought that up because what you ended up doing there by choosing to write around it is you did something really evocative. And I think you made it very present for the reader because of course, anybody reading this book has lived through Katrina, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what, you know, either seeing it for a dis- from a distance or actually living through it themselves. And the way that you frame it just in a few pages or even a few paragraphs where you're talking about how disposable the black bodies are in this particular context. And it is vividly brought back to life that nothing changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah however many exactly. years later. Like, I just thought that was so well done, Shelly. Like, I was like, oh, wow. 
Thank you. Know, you. I, 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 so I, I love that you brought that part up because the idea that you were actually writing around something and managed to hit on something so visceral, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the gifts of, of process, right? You know, that right. sometimes the thing that you're avoiding can bring you through to something really magical in terms of, um, at least for me as a reader, um, I thought it was a really kind of revelatory moment to kind of bring that up. Because you forget that there was a first flood. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, well, you know. Katrina, in our in our modern imagination, because it was such a big thing and we were able to see it on our televisions and had televisions, you know. But putting that context, I think, was so powerful. So kudos to you on that. So this 16-year endeavor, <laughs> I know you said you didn't think it should, should take that long. But um, are you working on something already? for the next thing? Have you started working on other things? And I, I should note to our, our listeners, they didn't see you hold up the big notebook with the, you know, with the, I mean, there were things, there were like timelines and, and graphs and charts. So it's like, you know, hearing that you love this research now, I, I totally get it. But is there another notebook in, in, the, in the making right now? There is. It's a bigger one. Mm. I learned my lesson on this little small moleskin right here. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I had started even writing over it. So I started out like writing just one page. I don't necessarily like to write on the back page of journals. I got cured of that real quick. <laughs> so, and then like I started then another layer, like writing in a different ink to denote that here's, you know, another layer of revision. So I've got, I've got a bigger journal <laughs> for, for my next project. I am still very much in the research stage of it, but I'm always working on so many other things, essays and articles all the time. I've got a web series that's been in development for quite a while. I did uh, produce the pilot and it did screen at like Outfest and places like that. That's one of the things I put on the shelf, you know, because I I try to get funding for it. And then I put it on the shelf and leave it alone. And then someone contacts me and like, hey, I think I got a funding resource for you. So uh, but yeah, the next is a novel and air quotes on the next because I also do have a nonfiction project I'm sort of working on, kind of like a memoir, but there's so much stuff that I'm still processing and unpacking on my own and things that I'm just not brave enough to share yet. So that, although I'm working on it and and writing it, who knows when I will actually like be like, all right, let's publish this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the uh, novel number two is in research space. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'll be looking forward to that. Um, every man is just going to be making its way into the world this summer. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you're already working on something else, but I'm excited to see what this does for you because I think it's, it's, it's really exciting. What do you hope people take away from it? Um, first, I, I want it to be a really good story. Um, two, I hope that it just really inspires a lot of conversations about a lot of different things, whether it's North, South, uh, the Great Migration, sexuality, gender, some of these historical uh, events and things that happened and how we interpret them. Things like yeah, they're, the African-American canon, those works did sometimes do us a disservice. And like how we talk about or how real people talk about our martyrs <laughs> in, in, you know, their kitchens and, and things like that. 
right? Like real talk. So there, I mean, there's so many things and I did want like a lot of, I wanted to inspire a lot of robust conversation about things. Well, I think you will definitely do that. Um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if you inspired some of us to continue to dig, dig deeper now that we have the resources, you know, to kind of reach back and see who's back there <laughs> in, yeah. our, in our own family trees and in our own, you know, journeys. Uh, thank you so much for coming to discuss this with me and sharing this book with me. Um, you know, I know I like reached out to you like, oh, wait, 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 there's a book, let's do this. So <laughs> I am so excited for you, congratulations. Um, and let's see what every man does out in the world. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out, and we appreciate your feedback so much. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. What I'm currently reading right now is The Gilded Ones, which is a fantasy book and not generally my genre of choice. However, we belong everywhere. I, I have a firm belief that Black authors, Black writers, Black thought belong in every genre imaginable. So I am immersing myself in a genre that I wouldn't typically, just because I think that we deserve to be in every space imaginable. So we'll talk to you about that soon, and I will get back to you on how much I loved it. I, I have a feeling. I, I, I think I'm loving it. I think I love it. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> in the meantime, keep it lit. <laughs>